Hello, and welcome back to Paul Dark Podcast, the internet's only and therefore best podcast dedicated to the Poldark saga. Kidding. Uh, it's hosted by the following Poldark fangirls. I am Michelle. I live in the States. I tumbler at Poldark Muses and tweet at Musings. My name is Rita. I live in England. I tumbler at Princess of Poldark and I tweet at Rita Bites. This week's podcast is the final one of our book club series. We are currently reading The Angry Tide in preparation for season one, and we'll be discussing chapters eight through 14 of book three. As always, these podcasts will be delving deeply into spoiler territory, and quite frankly, you should know by now not to listen if you're spoiler averse. So don't blame us when you know what's happening in season four, okay? We warned you all. Every single week. Let us begin with the book club. Our first question was, as always, what or who has struck you the most in these eight chapters and why? Now, this could be a specific person, storyline, action, and or situation. Other Michelle uh, said, Elizabeth's death and George and Ross's reactions to it. First, I have an unhealthy hatred of Elizabeth because of her massive and unjustified (laughs) superiority complex, her incredible selfishness, and the destruction and damage she caused to so many characters. Damn! I want that on my tombstone. (laughs) That's my my little editorial. Uh, She continues, To be fair, she grew up in a class-based society and she was constantly told she was superior. It's not surprising that she believed it was true. Note, Verity and Caroline came from prominent families and had most, if not all, of Elizabeth's same qualities, but without her entitled, selfish, manipulative, and destructive characteristics. Lesson? She had the option of choosing to be a better person. Given all of this, I admit the unspeakable. I am glad Elizabeth is dead. (laughs) (laughs) And she says... I am a terrible person. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently so are we, because we are laughing at this. Uh, Let's see. George's reaction was a bit surprising. It implied that he loved Elizabeth, but his thoughts after her death really explained his love for her. Most surprising is that he never considered divorcing or even leaving her, even with his well-founded suspicions that she was unfaithful to him during their engagement and that she lied to him about the identity of Valentine's father. After reading this passage, I think she could have told him the truth about her night with Ross and about Valentine. I don't think he would have left her or kicked her to the curb. He would have been miserable to her. But then again, she did some lousy things to him. Ross's reaction to Elizabeth's death was more problematic to me for me. His walking the countryside all night because his first love died made it seem like he'd never got over her. But I think he did. That her death represented the death of his youth, of an era, a startling reminder of his and Demelza's mortality, makes more sense to me. I wish those points were emphasized more and Elizabeth's significance in Ross's life made less important. Um, absolutely addicted Podarki said the Ross Caroline relationship and their conversation during the trip back to Cornwall. From the beginning, we know there was an attraction of sorts between these two. 
I have to hand it to Winston Graham, who was very adept at creating these unique dynamics slash relationships and how they connect with one another. Eva Levy said Elizabeth's death and Rosin Demel's reaction to it. Even though I had been spoiled for this particular storyline, it was no less shocking or heart-wrenching. I gasped one more than once and had to close the book at one point before continuing reading. A really powerful end to the book. River Woman Rule said, I was impressed by the way Winston shared Elizabeth's state of mind in these final chapters. Although she was still not a very sympathetic character, Elizabeth had grown over the years and seemed less one-dimensional. As evidenced by her reaching out to Morwenna, she showed more empathy as she matured. As a woman negotiating a proprietary male world, Elizabeth took the practical rather than the romantic approach. I think Tina Turner's What's Love Got To Do With It was <laughs> descriptive of her tactic. However, no matter how she felt about her men, Elizabeth loved her children unconditionally. So much so that she was willing, in her pregnant hormonal state of mind, to take a foolish risk to secure their future. So in the end, grasping George struck again and again ruined lives. This may verge on the blasphemous, but I thought it was unfair that Graham didn't give Ross the same opportunity to say goodbye to Elizabeth that he gave to Demelza and Armitage. Next question. Uh, something is seriously up with the Warleggins. Seen to be bitter and at odds in public, and then the money flinging in the middle of the commons? Discuss. Other Michelle said, George, George, George... <laughs> Once again, Ross has bested him when Ross had no clue that he was involved in a George challenge to begin with. Preach! I mean, that's always annoyed me about, uh, you know, this this section of the, the story that, you know, Ross had absolutely no idea <laughs> that this wager was going on. And, you know, he, he winds up, he's like, okay, great, I gotta go and do this thing with George, even though I can't stand him. But, you know, it was what uh, Monk asked for me to do, uh, you know, in his dying words, you know, so fine, I'll go give him 10 guineas. Um, you know, so he had no idea that there was this thing going on, and that was how the whole situation with Monk Adderley started. It's probably for the best that he doesn't know, to be honest, because we don't need more homicides. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, so then George, you know, because he's all jacked up about Jeffrey Charles's innocent comment, um, winds up flinging the money back in Ross's face, and Ross is kind of like, "Dude, what the fuck? <laughs> What's the deal?" You usually love money. What's up? <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Uh, so, anyway. Um, absolutely addicted Poldarkey said, Well, the fallout from Jeffrey Charles's comment continues. Ahem. Yep. Um, like I said before, the wound was reopened, and once again, George's insecurities are at the forefront. Demelza notices how bitter they looked at the soiree she and Ross attended. Then Caroline confirms her observation by informing her George and Elizabeth are at the point of separation. Rumor must be flying all over London about this. Uh, she continues, um, This was a shock as Demelza was aware Elizabeth was to have another child. 
Things are not good in Warlagen world, folks. And then Ross approaching George in the comments. Yikes! I did find it interesting when Ross approached George how shocked he was, or Ross was, at the look of hatred George had for him. Did he truly, and did he truly believe it was due to Monk's death? It would seem so. Maybe Ross should have taken that look as a hint. Just turn around, Ross, and leave. Nope. Gold pieces in the face. Nice and mature, George. Evil Eve said, uh-oh, <laughs> it's the beginning of the end of those two. It seems petty that it was a throwaway comment about Valentine's appearance appearance that set George's suspicion off again. But I guess we know George to be petty already. The coin-flinging scene made it really clear how pissed he was. George is petty AF. <laughs> true, true, true. I have such low expectations for George that I was actually more annoyed at Ross for almost challenging George to another duel. That really had me pissed <laughs> off. I was like, really, Ross? <laughs> I can sort of forgive this fully one time, but he's literally still recovering from his last duel. I mean, his arm is in a damn sling. I thank God some random sensible men were there to calm the situation. Because you know it would have led there. I mean... Oh, yeah. As for George being his usual petulant self, I think his anger at Ross, given what we know about the Jeffrey Charles thing, was somewhat justifiable. What? Can you imagine being uh, George in the situation where Ross has literally just gotten away with murder? From his perspective, Ross just he gets away with everything, including, most importantly, knocking up Elizabeth, ruining her, and getting her pregnant with like an illegitimate child. But is Ross feeling the consequences of this? No, George is. So as much as we shit on George, I think that ugh, we have to allow for the fact that the whole Ross and Elizabeth clusterfuck thing is enough to turn just a sane man and a sweet person like Francis Poldark into a bitter suicidal wreck. Then we have to account for the fact that it's going to turn an idiot like... <laughs> Like <laughs> George into a complete mess too. Hey, look, like I said, Ross had no idea why George lost his damn mind in the comments. You know, other than George was being the same envious, nouveau riche asshat he has always been. Um, but I tend to agree with you that central to George's animosity towards Ross is that the latter's position in society, you know, ancient name, blah, 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 appears to stand him in good stead in times of peril. And now that George knows he's got a cuckoo in the nest, well, I can't say that bodes well for Valentine. As for Francis, well, you can place a shit ton of blame on the late Charles Poldark, who was in such a hurry to marry his son to Elizabeth. Seriously, take a look at the prologue of Ross Poldark. And see if you and and tell me if you think I'm crazy. Joshua on his deathbed tells Charles that Ross is alive and that he's always talked about Elizabeth in his letters and has serious plans to pursue Elizabeth as soon as he got home from the war. And once again, he mentions here he asks uh, both 
Charles and Dr. Choke, if they are in contact with the Chenoweths and makes reference to, you know, I should get in contact with them, you know, if I was able to, blah, 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 blah. So what happens? Six months later, Ross comes home and Francis and Elizabeth are getting married. I mean, dude, Francis, marrying the girl your cousin was crazy over, and I'm sure you knew that Ross was crazy over her because the two of you were like brothers. Bad form. I mean, seriously, bad form. I mean, to be fair, they thought he was dead, and once the guy is dead, you can do whatever the fuck you like. That's the rules, right? Okay, okay. Those two thought he was dead. Charles knew Ross was alive. Oh, yeah. Charles is a piece of shit. So, yeah. Charles Poldark, you know, needs to be dug up and, like, slapped in the face with a shovel and then dug What is it with the older Poldarks messing with people? Him and Agatha were just (sighs) like, uh, screw it. I'm going to mess with all of you youngins before I go. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. Ruining some lives. Oh, yeah. Next question was, Demelza comes to a decision. What were your thoughts? Our other Michelle said, Her decision made sense to me. The thought that Ross killed a man, risked his own life and their family over her was more than she could bear. She did not want to risk a repeat of the situation and knew there was no other way to prevent it. Absolutely addicted Podarki said, I didn't blame Demelza for coming to the decision to leave London, especially after at the, that soiree and having yet another man being attentive being attentive is disgusting Uh to her and she being somewhat rude to him exactly how much more male attention can a woman endure it must have been a most difficult painful decision but things are not right between them the relationship is strained they aren't communicating like they were and the jewel was the last straw for her maybe putting some miles between them could give each of them time to reflect. Eva Levy said, This is interesting because if my memory of the book serves me, when Demelza leaves London, this is the first time she's actually left Ross. Of course, TV Demelza has done this before, so her decision won't hold much weight in the adaptation. But for book Demelza, it show it really shows how much Ross's duel hurt and disgusted her. She is always by his side. I don't blame her at all because Ross did a shitty impulsive thing and on her behalf. This is this has reminded me why I love Winston Graham's Demelza, because she has this quiet strength and independence. She has no need to storm out, guns blazing, yelling at Ross. Instead, she leaves a well-written, pointed note for him and goes home because she knows that is right for her. And I agree. I completely and thoroughly agree. Uh, That said, you know, one of the reasons she leaves, and I'm always, I feel like all I'm doing is saying, I agree, but, (laughs) but, you know, I do agree with what you said. Um, I do want to point out that one of the reasons she leaves is because she feels Ross no longer trusts her, given what happened with Hugh. And in all honesty, isn't Ross entitled to be a bit distrusting or rather have his moments of doubt with her. She certainly continues to have doubts about him. Cough, cough, Elizabeth. Cough, 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 cough. Although now that her nemesis is dead, I imagine her doubts will recede for the time being. Um, 
Anyhow, Ross and Demelza have never discussed the Hugh situation. She's always, you know, kind of cut that off uh, whenever he's brought it up um, or the, the situation is, is raised to the forefront. Uh, he's never shared his feelings about it because she's never given him a chance to. Um, anyhow, just some thoughts rambling around in my little brain. Rita, what are your thoughts? I agree with you. I mean, I would have hauled ass too, if I'm honest. Like, Demelza in social environments is now having to be, quote, almost rude to men to prevent another Mank Adley situation. And that's A, going to give weight to the rumours that <laughs> Ross shot a man, and B, at complete odds to just her personality and how she treats people, and C, that's just not an enjoyable experience. Like, the whole point of her coming to London was to have fun and spend time with Ross and work on their relationship, but she can no longer really do, like, any of those things. So I don't think it's really worth her missing her children for. And I honestly think it was the right decision because the space improved their relationship, I think. It gave them both time to think. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I agree. Okay, next question. Elizabeth comes to a decision. Discuss. Uh, the other Michelle says, Elizabeth engages in truly insane thinking when she decides the only way to make George believe that Valentine is his child which is, all together now, a, a lie, lie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is if she has another premature child. Her reasoning for taking the tonic reflects her character. Her goal in doing this is not to make George love and accept Valentine or to calm George's fears or for peace in their family. Nope. She says she wants Valentine to get George's money so Valentine can give money to GC to support Trenwith then GC can live in the style that GC deserves to live in. Huh? No thought or love for George, certainly, but tragically, none for Valentine or the child she's carrying either. Only another manipulation to get money to GC to live in the grand style she thinks he's entitled to. She is willing to risk her life, her baby's life, and leave her new child, Valentine, and GC, for that matter, without a mother, to get money for GC. How insane is this? Twisted, twisted, twisted. Beautiful. Um, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Poldaki said, much ruminating by Elizabeth in this section. Two paternity reveal moments. The first, when she's thinking on Geoffrey Charles's quote innocent remark, and is acknowledged quote as if a Poldark recognizing another Poldark, something out of the grave. End quote. And then the second, when in Dr. Anselm's office she's asked about her previous births and if they were both full term. She hesitates, then responds, yes. So, there you have it. Confirmation! Um, just for you listening at home, that was underlined and bolded. Yes. Her decision to take his, quote, medicine given to her by this quack shows her absolute desperation in needing George to accept and believe Valentine is his. But Elizabeth also needs the status quo to remain. She's most eager to become, quote, Lady Willigan. Once and <laughs> if George is knighted, she would be the first in the Chenoweth family with such a title. After all, what length she will go to. Boy, what a sad state of affairs this is. 
course, she didn't find out about the whole Lady Warlegan thing until after she'd taken the tonic. No, but I think um, George has mentioned his plans to her before when they were still, like, friendly. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. Okay. Never mind. Uh, Evil Evie said, uh, I think most people will consider Elizabeth stupid for making this decision. And I bet they will be the same people who blamed her for marrying George back in book four. Both of these decisions she made she has made are quote selfish and quote misguided and have horrible consequences first ross breaking into trendwith and now her death but in neither of these cases do i think she is entirely wrong to choose what she did elizabeth is a woman who has always been dependent on men in her life that is why she decides to marry george and it is why she now decides to induce her labor early in order to keep their marriage from falling apart she knows that without a husband, she would have nothing and her children would have nothing. And she is actually pretty justified in those fears. Both of these instances are perfect examples of the pressure on upper class women during this era. While they are different and, quote, petty, end quote, in comparison to what other characters go through, I don't think that makes them any less real. To dismiss Elizabeth's concern shows an inability to step into her shoes. So basically, while this is technically a stupid decision to ask a weird doctor for a concoction to make her go into premature labor, I still understand why she did it, and I don't think she can be condemned for it. Perichie's head agrees. I actually have sympathy for Elizabeth being married to someone who is so insecure as George. I've gone through this, and it's not a comfortable place to be in when it feels like you have to walk on eggshells around someone you love because you're afraid that you'll trigger another bout of insecurity. I actually hate that she feels she has to, quote, manage, for lack of better word, George's insecurities, even though that's his responsibility. And I have some sympathy for this take, but then I remember that George's insecurities are in fact 100% founded in reality and the truth elizabeth <coughs> is really good at lying she almost had me convinced at some points like george why can't you just believe her but then she is lying i mean she's <laughs> a pathological liar of course he doesn't believe her because it's not the truth she's lying why the fuck you lying why you always lying she is uh but for a moment uh set aside the whole valentine situation um i opine that george wouldn't be so insecure if he didn't have such deep-seated resentment of ross and the rest of the aristocracy giving him the side eye every time he starts tossing cash around that's a good point i do yeah as for me this is a bonkers decision to me because this the stakes of this situation were relatively low. Had she done this and made this decision at the end of Four Swans, I think I could have accepted it because the state of the George and Elizabeth relationship was just so dire back then and they had been living with it for such a long time. I mean, there had been troubles for years at that point and the risk would have been justified. I think part of why this doesn't work for me as a decision now is down to Winston Graham's plotting. Because if you think mm. about it, they were blissfully happy and expecting another baby and just like 
all up in each other for almost four-fifths of the book. And then one slight remark from Geoffrey Charles and their entire relationship devolves so quickly and so publicly that even Caroline is talking about it. I just find it kind of ludicrous. And I think it makes Elizabeth's actions seem completely unreasonable and ill-thought-out. I mean, she had one argument with George. So then she decides she's just going to suck down the entire bottle of this weird medicine from some quack she met once. I just I just don't buy it. And Elizabeth isn't a reckless person to me. I think she's very calm and methodical in her problem-solving. And ultimately, I think the characterization was thrown under the bus for an admittedly wonderfully dramatic ending. Oh, gosh. So many great thoughts on this situation. And I think it's great that we've got a mix. You know, like Evil Evie and Prairie Cheesehead, you know, there's a part of me that understands the woman's dilemma. And given George's rise within the world of politics, you know, he very well could have gotten divorced and left Elizabeth in the lurch. I mean, you know, he's he's in the House of Commons. And correct me if I'm wrong, at that time a divorce had to be granted uh, through the House of Commons. And so, you know, George could have completely slandered Elizabeth's character. Think about it, though. He would have had actual grounds for divorce, considering she lied about (laughs) the baby. I mean, he, he could have totally sued the shit out of her. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, a divorce was absolutely possible within the realm of possibilities. So, uh, you know, there's a part of me that understands that, you know, she was she was in freaking dire straits. But still, damn, Elizabeth, damn. You know, another thing, when I was doing my reread, I couldn't help but feel as if there was some kind of almighty rush to tie up loose ends and wrap this thing up. Um, And I have to wonder, and, you know, those of you that are are listening, you know, do any of you know if he intended to continue the saga after this book? I have no idea. And I haven't done my due diligence to to find out if that's the case. But I do really agree with you. I think rereading this... um, I initially remembered this as one of my favorite novels, and now rereading it, I'm suddenly coming across that all these storylines were kind of rushed towards the end, and I will mention another yeah. one later on as we're talking, but it just felt kind of disappointing when you, like, compared to some of the other novels, I think this doesn't hold up as well on reread. Yeah. Speaking of a storyline I hated. Drake is back at Pally's and has an unexpected visitor, which results in a flurry of activity and decision-making. The other Michelle said, "Uh, did I mention that I'm a terrible person? Uh, Yeah, she did. Um, (laughs) I lost interest in the Drawena drama chapters, maybe even books ago. Um, I will say the storyline is better in the books than in the current TV show, but either way, enough already. I'm glad they ended up together. Note. The visual image of Drake riding a pony (laughs) is not one I want to keep in my head for any extended period of time. (laughs) Can you imagine that little lanky boy (laughs) on a tiny pony? (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, please make it up to Oh, God. Um, absolutely yeah. addicted Bulldog, he said. Oh, Drake, Drake, Drake. Well, he got his wish, didn't he? Right when he believed he would be single forever. <laughs> Guess who it is? His pity party <laughs> and patience paid off. Lots of peas there, sorry. I truly felt for Moena, though. She's one messed up lady. Thanks, Ozzy. She has suffered tremendously both physical and mental abuse. It will take some time for her, and who knows, she may never completely recover. Within her story, though, it is an inner strength. The fact that she was willing to walk away from her child in order to save herself speaks volumes. And she headed to Drake. Drake is beside himself and cannot believe his luck. He's not going to let her go out of his sight again. And aside from me, that was kind of creepy. She left for five minutes and he freaked out. I'm just saying. Exactly. <sighs> We're getting married, girl. Now. <laughs> He's not taking any chances. <sighs> Walking on eggshells for sure, but for Drake, it's all worth it to have her back. Evil Evie said, At first I thought this was a vaguely happy ending to the storyline, but upon further reflection I see I was wrong. Drake didn't seem to be accepting Morwenna's boundaries at all. Like when he got the wedding to be as soon as possible so she wouldn't run away. Not creepy and pushy at all. Uh, he also didn't give the impression that he truly understood what Morwenna went through. I don't think Morwenna's trauma can be magically swept away by her, quote, true love, end quote, with Drake. But I'm getting the feeling that with the time jump happening after this book, that is what we might be getting. I hope that doesn't happen because it would be a disservice to Morwenna's character and also just unrealistic. I mean, I agree a hundred thousand percent. The conclusion of this storyline that I have so loathed completely undermined all of the tension built up in the previous novels and completely undermines the deep trauma caused to Morwenna over the course of her marriage. Mm -hmm. yeah. All of her perfectly good reasons for not marrying Drake so soon was just undone in one bloody conversation. And it was an annoying conversation at that, because Drake repeatedly tells her not to speak about it, and Morwenna insisting she had to, and then Drake not even really understanding what she's saying. It was just... Uh, I really would like Morwenna to be happy and to get over everything that has happened to her, but I was never convinced this marriage would accomplish that, so it's a hashtag flop plot for me. <laughs> that's great i i really don't have anything to say about it except the song every breath you take <laughs> by the police comes to mind uh you know with drake's freak out over her disappearance i'll be watching you oh can't you see you belong to me Uh, 
Uh, Caroline and Ross have an exceptionally candid conversation as they return to Cornwall. Discuss. Other Michelle said, This section made me very uncomfortable. I honestly don't understand why Caroline had to tell her best friend's husband that she wanted to sleep with him, or why Ross had to tell his best friend's wife that he wanted to sleep with her. <laughs> Maybe to show that they were both very mature about their feelings and could have these desires without acting on them. How is this information supposed to help Ross understand Demelza's thoughts and actions in leaving London? It almost seemed salacious and an attempt to sex up the book, but it was not necessary. Please, though, tell me if you or anyone can come up with some reasoning that explains this passage. Oh, absolutely addicted Poldarkey said, I enjoyed this. <laughs> was a little apprehensive at first, thinking... <laughs> Don't do it, you two. But I realized how close they are in friendship, love, and in personalities. An exceptionally honest conversation. And one that Ross needed to hear. And that was like bolded and in italics, people. Um, when she points out it wasn't Monk Adderley he was killing. It was Hugh Armitage and his response. Damn you, Caroline. It was a str plain, straightforward duel. And she responds, it was nothing of the sort, and you know it. Yes! <laughs> I was cheering! Uh, they have a mutual understanding of one another at a level that their spouses cannot relate to. Both are headstrong, brutally honest, and of the same class. Intellectual equals as well. It is not a strictly platonic relationship. There is a sexual tr attraction on both sides. But out of love and respect for their spouses, they would never act on it. That is the beauty of their relationship. When Caroline comments on how moral they are as a foursome, it was a testament to their marriages and spouses. Evil Eve said, I believe this is one of my favorite scenes from the whole book, if not the whole series. It was perfectly crafted from the parallel between when Ross saved Caroline and Dwight's relationship to Caroline now saving Ross and Demelza's. The excellent banter between these two characters, who are so similar in many ways, and the intimacy and emotions being brought to the surface, where they have been suppressed for most of the book. Prairie Cheesehead said, I love, love, love this conversation. I think Caroline was exactly the right person to say out loud what has been unsaid since Ross found those poems in Demelza's skirt pocket towards the end of Four Swans. River Woman Rule says, Caroline is my favorite char female character, but I'm not as enthusiastic as others about her lecture to Ross. I think her verbal slap in the face was exactly what was needed to snap Ross out of his depression, but her choice of words was strange. Telling Ross that Demelza was deeply drawn to Armitage because of his virility and sensitivity was tactless and a salt rub to wounds, but her talk seemed to do the job, so I applaud her perceptiveness. However, I was much more I was much more interested in Caroline finally confessing she had a serious crush on Ross. Then she leisurely follows this bombshell with the fact that no matter how tempted she might be, her love and loyalty would never allow her to betray Dwight or Ross. Yep, Caroline is my girl. Casual reminder that this is the conclusion of Dwight 
and Caroline losing their baby. Caroline telling Ross that she fancies him, <laughs> but won't sleep with him. <laughs> uh, thank you, Winston Graham. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Yeah, this I love this conversation uh, with uh, Ross and Caroline. And I'm glad that it finally was the thing that kind of snapped Ross's head back into uh, the, the direction where it needed to be. Um, I was fine with them admitting to their mutual attraction to one another. You know, I, I think that, you know, it between friends that are as close as Ross, Demelza, Caroline, and Dwight, um, you know, I think it's perfectly natural for there to be some level of attraction uh, between uh, folks, um, you know, and the the fact that they've not acted on it, you know, it shows the 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 integrity uh, that they have for um, themselves and the love that they have for their spouses. Um, but I don't see it as being any kind of threat to the relationship to admit to um, a mutual attraction. And you know all four of them, or one of fuck, all four of them. That's how this works. <laughs> <laughs> Squad girls. Oh, Lord. Our next question was the gale and angry tide. Do you see what they did there? Yeah. Of December 9th, 1799. Saw several travellers on the road, and many confrontations and conversations take place. Thoughts? Other Michelle said, I liked the exchange between Elizabeth and Morwenna when Elizabeth was returning to Trenwith and inadvertently said, it would not matter if she fell or if anything happened to her. So Elizabeth was miserable, but whose fault was that really? And what about the misery that she and George caused Morwenna, who is a total innocent? You could feel the tension beginning to build in that scene, through the dinner scene and to the end of the book. Absolutely addicted, Poldarki said. What a coincidence. All five of these folks seem to be converging on Saul with Crumbler at the same time. I mean, Demelza, Drake, Russ, Caroline, and George. So Ross is the first to arrive home. <laughs> Much jubilation, similar to Demelza's return. I love Jeremy's, Jeremy's reaction. I find it interesting how Demelza stops herself from running to Ross when she sees him, and when he kisses her, her lips are quote cool and tentative how they were grateful to talk about something like the weather something mundane so we have relationship work to do Ramelza. as for drake with license in hand he heads to see odgers the boy is certainly not wasting any time i felt for him a little when he arrives home and finds mawen is not there freaks out a little especially when he finds out where she is trenwith it felt like it was Drake channeling Ross when he goes to Trenwith and puts his foot in the door when the servant tries to close it. That scene was hilarious. I did enjoy how Elizabeth intervened when George had threatened Drake with trespassing too. And finally, relief when he sees Morwenna at the gates of the smithy. All was well. It's almost as if Drake reacted completely irrationally and freaking out because she just went for a mild walk. Yeah. How dare she? You think? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Uh, I I just can't even with them. Um, Evil Evie said, Winston Graham loves some good old poetic pathetic fallacy. And when it shines 
and it shines through in this sequence. The tumultuous waves and the wind reflecting the wild emotions of the characters. I think my favorite scene here was Ross's return with the lovely reunion of the children and he and Demelza bonding over domestic mundane occurrences, which was underpinned by the tension and uncertainty of their marriage. Uh, I agree. I agree. The rest of it, it really felt, it really felt soap opera-y for me. Like tel- telenovela, especially with all of the, 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 the meteorol- meteorological, uh, like craziness going on. Okay, our next question is, uh, dinner at Trenwith is a challenging thing, especially with all the tension swirling around the joint. Thoughts? As Michelle said, fantastic scene and writing. I was uncomfortable just reading the thing. When Mrs. Chenoweth let slip that Moeno was marrying Drake. Oh, priceless. Absolutely addicted Poldarkey says, poor Moena, she shouldn't have stayed. Uh, bad memories for her at Trenwith. It wouldn't have been so bad if George hadn't shown up. His presence seems to put everyone on edge, including Elizabeth and poor Valentine. Could George be any more heartless and cruel to the poor child, uh, ignoring him? Uh, you know, just acknowledge him, you asshole. And then thank you, Mrs. Chenoweth, for announcing Morwenna's upcoming nuptials. When George asks, "Who is to be the man? Is it Car? Is it Carn?" then yells at a servant to have Valentine taken away. It's such an ugly, ugly scene. He's being horrible. Of course we know why, but it's still no excuse, especially when it comes to poor little Valentine. Uh, That boy will be scarred forever. I mean, who can't relate to ugly, horrific scenes and arguing at the dinner table? Yeah. Such a family event. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Evil Eve said, yikes. (laughs) George walked in and brought the storm with him. He and Elizabeth are on mm-hmm. shaky ground, and even though he has no sensible reason to object to Morwenna and Drake's marriage, he flies off the handle at Morwenna. Also, poor Valentine. This is the first time we've really heard him speak, and he was adorable. But of course, yes, he was. George was constantly silencing him. That kid's going to grow up with daddy issues. Uh, yeah, just a few. Um, Prairie Cheesehead says... I think the thing that really gets me riled up about this scene is how George treats little Valentine. I want to clock George. The little boy is not responsible for what the adults in his life do. Yes, I get that Valentine is a living reminder of Ross and, and in turn, all of George's old insecurities over Ross, but it is not fair to be taking this out on a child. What I did like was how Elizabeth finally stood up to George when Drake showed up. Yeah, I I do like that too. Um, I love that she basically ignored George and his threats and his <laughs> blustering and showed no fear of him. But then, then she turns around and, you know, he yells at her and she takes a bottle of goo. <laughs> uh, I'm truly insane thinking them. Speaking of, George and Elizabeth have it out once again, although the ending is far more precarious than the last. Thoughts? Other Michelle says, oh, what a tangled web. Has anyone considered the pain that Elizabeth has inflicted on George? Granted, he is an asshat, but perhaps the constant duplicity from his beloved added to that just a little bit. Elizabeth will go down with the ship, lying to the end. Oh my god, stop fucking lying. 
Maybe she started to believe her own lie. Don't know. Don't care. Glad she's dead. <laughs> yes, I said it again. <laughs> Absolutely addicted Podaki said, once again, Elizabeth proves she can, quote, hold her own when going up against George. I agreed with her when she addresses George's mistreatment of Valentine. His thoughts while being reprimanded by her and his disgust were very telling. The angry tide is certainly rising within George. I see what you did, though. Quite. Mm -hmm. As if she were the master. As if hers were the money, the mines, etc. But all she has to do is smile at him. I find it almost humorous when he says, quote, one does not always see these things in such precise terms, end quote. When Elizabeth addresses his being upset at Geoffrey Charles's words about Valentine, very much reminded me of Ross when he spoke with Verity about anger. So amazing is the writing that I begin to feel for George towards the end of the conversation. It truly is an unbelievable achievement for Elizabeth to flip this whole scenario around on George. <sighs> I've spoken of other manipulators, but she is the queen. She's going to make damn sure George is complicit and accepts Valentine. So she will follow Dr. Anslem's instructions and bring on an early birth risk for her life in order for Valentine to be George's heir. Let's see. Evil Evie says, These arguments between George and Elizabeth are always so tense. Although Elizabeth doesn't crack out the Bible this time, she does try to convince George that Aunt Agatha's uh, implied uh, he wasn't Valentine's father out of spite, which is half true, but still a lie. Every time you tell me something, I figure that you're lying. Ooh, it's almost like you're faking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, George was convinced last time because if you think that Ross raped Elizabeth like I do, Elizabeth was technically being honest when she swore she had never given herself to anyone but Francis and George because she didn't. But this time, there is no way for her to subdue George's suspicions except for bringing him another premature child. It's all downhill firm here for them. Prairie Cheesehead said, I may be in the minority, but I dearly love that Elizabeth calls George out on everything. How he treats Valentine, his jealousy and insecurities, his believing the words of a child, and how he treated Agatha, especially ruining her birthday. I love that she stands firm on how he needs to treat Valentine better. I And I must admit, I do um, appreciate the fact that you know, George finally admits that the reason why he was so suspicious about Valentine's parentage was because of what Aunt Agatha said and reveals that that's what was the the thing that, that caused that shift. And, um, you know, basically, you know, says, you know, dude, she said that because you had to be spiteful and ruining her birthday. I love when he's like, why would she lie? I mean, there's a list of reasons, George. <sighs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like you, you, George has hated her from the very beginning. He's treated her like shit, um, you know, the entire time that he has, you know, been living in trend with. So, you know, then to cap it all off, he ruins the thing that she has been so excited about. Clearly, just out of spite. You know, he could have let her have that party. 
wouldn't have hurt anybody. But no, he had to go and like basically say, nope, you're not having it. Too bad, so sad. You can't have nice things if you're a Polak. He won't stand for it. Exactly. Exactly. So, anyhow, I was glad that she called him out on that. But, Even if it was you know. still a lie. Always lying to me too much. Lying so much you know. You're making it hard for me. I think that's it. <laughs> Ross and Demelza resolve some issues. Do they? Discuss. Other Michelle says kind of they talk which is a big thing for them both admit they were wrong yes. and both say they really don't know how to fix all of this and prevent similar things in the future both want to keep trying and both still love each other in hindsight this was pretty damn realistic maybe one of the best commentaries in the whole series absolutely addicted portrait he says well it seems they have at least come to an understanding um, as much as East understands and acknowledges they have hurt each other. When Demelza says, we must go on living and learning, my heart skipped when Ross added, and loving. I must add the last sentence from Demelza too. That, most of all. Sigh. I do love their conversations. Winston Graham truly understands this dynamic, doesn't he? Yeah, I, I love their conversations too, when they frickin' happen! Um... <laughs> <laughs> Evil Eve said, Ross really summed up the situation when he said that there were times when they had a big discussion after falling out to heal it, and other times when saying only a few words was still enough. But this time he wasn't sure which was right to do. This is a watershed for Ross and Demelza, as Ross puts it in the final pages, because it's a culmination of everything up to that point. Her leaving him in London isn't the worst thing that's ever happened in their relationship. It's just the tip of the iceberg. I think they come to a temporary resolution when they agree to just keep living and loving each other because that's all they can do. But the real resolution only comes at the very end of the book. Hurry Cheese had said, um, I think they do resolve things. It may not seem like it, but there are 10 years between the end of this book and the start of the next. Uh, River Woman Rule says uh, Ross negotiated another reconciliation, but their innermost feelings, hurts, fears, disillusions were not shared. Again, um, unfortunately, a frank soul-bearing discussion of the type Ross had with Caroline seems beyond them. You know, perhaps that's because, you know, Caroline is, quote, the uh, an objective person when it comes to being able to talk about these things you know oftentimes it is very very difficult to have um you know crucial conversations with people that you love that you care for um you know honestly communication is the only way to to deal with uh the level of hurt and disillusionment that these two have had with one another i mean you know remember after the duel you know, Demelza says to herself, I will never forgive him for that. That's some serious, serious, like, shit right there. You know? Does she ever forgive him for the duel? We don't know. Find out in ten years where they will. Never mentioned it again, <laughs> probably. <sighs> yeah. I do agree that it's somewhat realistic, though. In that Oh, absolutely. Like, who absolutely. actually talks about their problems? 
I mean. Absolutely. You just go, whoops, I don't know what to do. Let's just keep living. (laughs) (laughs) And talking about the weather and, you know, all that kind of stuff. A wedding and a funeral. This is like the prequel to Four Weddings and a Funeral. Just like the slightly more depressing (laughs) version. Anyway, your thoughts on the watershed moments reached in this chapter. Other Michelle said, Drake and Merwinner are married. Yay? Elizabeth is dead. Bigger yay. <laughs> as as Ding Dong the Witch is dead would be entirely inappropriate. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Damn. Absolutely. Damn. Absolutely addicted product, he said. A hastily put together wedding, but a wedding nonetheless. Finally, Drake and Merwinner have their happy ending. I did not enjoy the quote kisses after the ceremony and how Caroline waited to kiss Ross until the last. <laughs> yeah, she wants her lips on that man. Oh, anyway, Elizabeth's death definitely was a pivotal moment for all. She sacrificed herself for her son. I'm putting a question mark next to that. <laughs> a lie she took to the grave. All for the benefit of Valentine, who will now be heir to the Willegan fortune. Demelza's being very understanding and giving Ross his space reminds me of Drake with Morwenna in a way. Although Drake really doesn't give her he really space. Doesn't. He's like, she took some space? Let me He's like her. all up in her freaking grill. It's like, oh sure, I'm not, go- I'm not going to force myself on you, but you know, marry me now. Marry me now, marry me now, marry me now. <laughs> Eva Levy said, there's a real sense of togetherness and domesticity in the wedding scene, with little moments like Caroline lending Morwenna her dress and Clowance being teased by Judd. That feeling is darkly contrasted with Elizabeth's death. I had to put the book down once because of the descriptions of Elizabeth on her deathbed were so visceral and sickening. Say what you will about her and her actions, but I don't believe she deserved to die like that. Then, of course, the discussion between Ross and Demelza had me in tears. I've cried at the end of all seven Poldark books so (laughs) far. Uh, This ending was painful and also uplifting, with Demelza's musing about living in the moment and appreciating what what you have while it's still there. A perfectly concluded The Angry Tide, which has become one of my favorite books in the series. Uh, Perigis had said, I think it's sad that Elizabeth felt that she had to resort to taking one of Dr. Aslam's concoctions to induce labour because George is so insecure. I just did a presentation for a class on contraception and menstrual stimulators were something commonly used to induce periods when a woman missed one and were made from various plants and herbs. I couldn't find any reference to what was in the concoction that Aslam gave to Elizabeth. But I do know that wormwood was a plant used for this purpose, and it could cause seizures, hallucinations, and even kidney failure. I felt the Drake Morwenna wedding was un- uh, was anticlimactic. I mean, <laughs> I forget they get married. That was how important it was. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. And you know something? I miss Sam. Oh, don't even... <laughs> Get me started. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I miss Sam. I miss Sam. Okay. Uh, Can you pick out a passage that strikes you as particularly profound or interesting? 
Uh, please share it and why. Other Michelle said George's thoughts on Elizabeth were very interesting to me because we must never get information on George's thoughts. His love for Elizabeth was not perfect, but he genuinely loved her in his way. I felt just a little bit sorry for the arsehat. Uh, Evil Eve said, I've chosen the incredibly poignant conversation between Ross and Demelza from the final pages of the book. Yet again, Winston Graham has managed to capture humanity in his writing with such honesty and insight. And bear with me while I quote and butcher it. Um, We're at the end of a century, at the end of an era. It's just a date. No, it isn't. Not for us. Not for anybody. But especially not for us. It's... It's a watershed. We have come up so far, now we look down. We look onwards, surely. Onwards and down. Do you realise there will come a time, there will have to come a time, when I shall never hear your voice again, or you mine? It may be sentimental, sentimental to say so, but this, this fact is something I find intolerable, unthinkable, beyond bearing. Demelza moved from her chair suddenly, knelt to the fire and picked up the bellows and began to work them. It was to distinguish the tears that had lurched to the edge of her lashes. She realised that he had reached some ultimate darkness of the soul, that he struggled in deep waters and that perhaps only she could stretch out a hand. Ross, you mustn't be afraid, it's not like you. Tisn't in your nature. Perhaps one's nature changes as one grows older. It mustn't. He watched her. Aren't you ever afraid? Yes. Oh yes, maybe every moment of the day if I allowed myself to think. But you can't live. Not that way. If you think like that. I'm here. You're here. The children are upstairs. That's all that matters at the moment. At this time, the blood is in my veins. It's in yours. Our hearts beat. Our eyes see. Our ears hear. We smell and talk and feel. She turned and, sca- and squatted beside him on the carpet, and he put his arm around her, staring sightlessly into the dark. She said, And we're together. Isn't that important? Even when it's like it was in London? That mustn't ever be again. No, he said. That mustn't ever be again. Of course there has to be an end, she said. Of course. For that is what everyone has faced since the world began, And that is, what do you call it, intolerable. It's intolerable. So you must not think of it. You must not face it, because it is a certainty. It has to be forgotten. One cannot, must not fear a certainty. All we know is this moment, and this moment, Ross, we are alive. We are. We are. The past is over, gone, What is to come doesn't exist yet. That's tomorrow. It's only now that can ever be at any one moment. And at this moment, now, we are alive. And together. We can't ask more. There isn't any more to ask. Prairie Cheese said, said, uh, This is a scene... This is from a scene where Ross and Demelza have finally got to the crux of their problems. This time, Ross said, I'm chief offender, maybe the only one. At least I plead no excuse. Oh, Ross, it is not. Perhaps in the end, one measures the quality of one's forgiveness by the quality of one's love. Sometimes my love has been lacking. Is yours now? No, she said, nor ever will be. 
"'Tisn't love I lack, Ross, but understanding. I believe this is the problem all along, going back to the early years of their marriage. I think she thought Armitage understood her. Understanding has nothing to do with being wooed and courted. I do believe this lack of understanding is mutual and due to their poor communication skills. Even though they are specifically talking about recent events, it is about resolving things that go further back. And the lack of understanding is on both sides. I'm thinking of Jer- I'm thinking back to Jeremy Poldark and Ross taking Trencrom's offer to use his cove for bringing in goods from France. I'm not diminishing Demelza's concerns, but she didn't understand what Ross was going through or what he was thinking back then either. And I agree with that uh, wholeheartedly. I've always I've always said that you know Ross's the things that Ross was going through at the time that he took up Trencrom's offer, uh, you know, he was still uh, perhaps grieving over um, Julia's loss. He just escaped the noose um, and was facing um, basically bankruptcy and debtor's prison uh, if he didn't have some kind of money coming in. And so, you know, he did what he thought he had to do in order to keep food in uh, his family's mouths. And so, you know, I I don't think that Demelza uh, quite understood that. I think that she was still uh, wrapped up in the fact that, you know, he had almost, you know, he'd gone to trial and had risked being killed. And now he was risking the same again. And she didn't quite understand why he was doing it. So the lack of understanding between both of them um, has been glaring uh, since the start of their marriage. I mean, I agree completely with you. So I'm like, yep. (laughs) Yep, I'm good. Ditto. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Question or observation of your choice. This is, of course, optional, but feel free to share whatever question or observation you've made about the book so far. Um, Before we get started, I just wanted to mention that Georgia's almost stream of consciousness chapter at the very end of the book, immediately following Elizabeth's death, is some of the best writing in all of the 12 books for me. Yes. I think it really gets into the heart of the character and just distills his entire essence you get a a sense of his depth of rage and his determination and drive and how he poured all of his love and care into one single person and that one person alone and having that entire relationship unravel before him so unexpectedly really just shatters him i couldn't help but feel really a lot of sadness and sympathy for him because he had happiness within his grasp and everything taken away from him really really quickly in fact i found myself much more moved by his grief than ross's which felt ross's uh, sense of grief felt kind of invasive to be honest when ross is barging (laughs) into the house and yelling at george to just tell him how elizabeth is his oblivious, obliviousness to everyone's distress in that house really blew me away. I mean, there was literally somebody crying in the background. 
And I also think his grief is much more existential and about the abstract destruction of you thing and blah blah blah. And it's not really about Elizabeth, the person. So I, I wasn't really as emotionally touched as I was with George's point of view. I found the same thing in this in this uh, reread uh, that it felt invasive when Ross just like comes charging in, you know, as if he's got a right to do that. God, Ross, read a room. <laughs> and you know something? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna say something that you know I know we've been trying to say you know don't don't. We've been doing it anyway. I know. Uh, you know what I'm. Yeah. You know what I'm trying to say. Um, I can't wait to see Jack Farthing do this. It's going to be delicious because he will absolutely crush it. So I hope that this isn't in the, in the adaptation. Never said it. Okay. Um, other Michelle says uh, first. That Ross never sees Elizabeth's true character or all the destruction and damage she caused right through the end is beyond irritating. Idiot trademark well earned. Uh, second, how will Ross wreak havoc on his marriage now that Elizabeth is gone? Wait a minute. Valentine! Problem solved. Uh, third, George and Elizabeth were well suited to each other. Both were obsessed with Ross. Him because he was insecure and thought if Ross accepted him, he would finally be one of the cool kids. Her because... She had to be first in Ross's heart and mind, not because she loved him, but because she believed she was entitled to adoration. Both were incapable of love. Damn. Him because of his massive insecurity, her because of her incredible incredible narcissism. Yes, I know she loved her children, but I believe she loved them because they were hers, an extension of love for herself rather than loving them for who they were as individuals. Agreed. God damn, girl. I think girl. that's a great dissection of how Elizabeth views relationships both were driven with obtaining money and position george was like the nerd who wins the star cheerleader in high school <laughs> oh my god <laughs> he would have done anything to keep elizabeth because attaining her elevated his status and he adored her which is exactly what she wanted elizabeth sav sabotaged her own life and never saw or was able to admit her responsibility in it or to anything Others had to be part to be sure. Ross, I'm looking at you and Demelza in some part too. But ultimately, Elizabeth was responsible for her own life and death. Fourth, where's Sam? <laughs> Yay! <laughs> um, I understand you need a character sometime as a plot device to move a story along, but this character deserves more. There has to be a place in this saga for decent guys who try to do the right thing. Dwight is one of them and Sam is another. Um, shout out to when Sam was trying to talk to Demelza about Emma, and Demelza wasn't even paying attention. She was just drifting off and thinking about herself. Uh. Hashtag terrible sister <laughs> alert. <laughs> I think maybe Drake and Demelza are much more alike than I would have thought. I'm just... Well, you know, they're supposed to look like each other. You know, sounds like they're kind of acting like each other. Um, let's see. Prairie Cheesehead says, um, when it appears that Ross is blaming Demelza for Adderley's behavior. What he's really saying is that he doesn't trust her around other men. Before Armitage, he did trust her when other men were around and being handsy and inappropriate. After Armitage, he does not. I believe if the Armitage episode happened before Demelza had her little thing with Armitage, Ross would not be reacting the way he is now. And that's a really good point. That's a good point. 
Not to say that all of these men like macking on Demelza, you know, ew, is appropriate because ew. Men are disgusting. (laughs) Anyway, River Woman Rule said, first, thank you, ladies, for a stimulating discussion. Hearing different perspectives was helpful. A big thank you to Poldark Muses for being a staunch Ross defender. I love me some Ross. And thanks, Princess of Poldark, for your comments on the era. Finally, a question or two for you gals. I was disappointed by the ending of Angry Tide because I felt cheated. At the end of Willuggan, Ross apologised to Demelza for breaking her heart and declared her his one true love. Up to the very last sentence of the Angry Tide, I was looking for a similar apology and declaration from Demelza. Did I miss it, or did she ever say she was sorry for the pain she caused? Did she ever say that she chose Ross over Hugh? If Hugh had survived, would Demelza have remained susceptible to his sexual entreaties? Thanks, Winston, for keeping me up nights. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know something? Um, I don't think Demelza ever did actually apologize that would warrant a conversation to happen and not never did because remember you know anytime that that ross even kind of nudged at the the issue demelza would kind of try to change the subject to be fair tv ross never apologized either so if they go straight from the books on this they'll be equal maybe that's the plan all along we were so pissed he didn't exactly apologize in the tv show but Really, they were setting up this long con. <laughs> it was that all along. You know, and that's just, I mean, uh-huh. <laughs> that that just that just makes me sad. So, so anyhow, thank you very much for um, joining our conversation for this book. Uh, it, you've raised a number of, you know, really good points that have been um, welcomed. Uh, in the the podcast so thank you river woman rules for for joining the joining the party so to speak uh, evil eve says will you ladies be considering doing a book club at some point in the future for the next book the stranger from the sea and even the rest of the series it's been an absolute joy to read along and discuss this with all of you there are even kisses at the Aww. end kiss kiss hey, thank, thank you thank you kissy kissy you know i don't know really don't depends know. on what the hell is happening beyond season four? And that's so up in the air. Yeah, but yeah, but you know, it's it's definitely a possibility. Uh, there are some crazy ass things that happen in Stranger from the Sea. Ugh, um, not my favorite <laughs> bit of the yeah. saga. Gotta be honest. Yeah, but um, you know, it, it, you never know. You never know. I mean, where would we be if we weren't screaming at? What the hell are you doing, Paul Dark? <laughs> yeah, and and we get a chance to, you know, in Stranger from the Sea, we get a chance to scream at the next generation because you know the the idiot Gene is very very strong in the Poldark three children. generations of Poldarks we've screamed at. Sure have. Good times. Poldark news. Poldark news. Okay, uh, Poldark's Instagram is currently running a competition to win tickets for the BFI screening in May. 
You can enter by going to the official Instagram and commenting on a post with your favorite Poldark Season 3 quote. Winners will be chosen on the 27th, which is what? Tomorrow. So get in there and, and get get your names down so that you can get your tickets. Or it may have already passed, depending on when you listen to this podcast. Um, if it's like a week late, sorry, you had your chance. Um, <laughs> we warned you. Uh, also, speculation about when the show returns for season four runs rampant. Uh, this Sunday night, 9pm time slot is currently being filled by The Woman in White, which is an amazing classic gothic novel that you all should read. The TV show is kind of just okay, but read the book, read the book, read the book. Anyway, so the next available slot on Sunday would be the 20th of May, which is actually only three weeks from now. Ah! Oh my god. Uh, so grab your tricorns. Oh my god. Cross your fingers. It could be soon. Oh my gosh. The anxiety is building within us right now. So, congratulations, everybody. We finished book club. <laughs> Yay! Uh, thank you so much to everyone who listened and participated. We literally couldn't have done it without you guys. It's been a blast reading all of your opinions, and it's definitely going to be interesting heading into season four with all of that insight swirling around our brains. Uh, speaking of season four, it should be back on our screens imminently, we hope. Uh, so we will be back, hopefully in three weeks. Give us a date, BBC One, or at least a freaking trailer. Come on now. <laughs> um, so we'll be back in three weeks with weekly recaps and discussions of the brand new episodes. So as the premiere hits, think of us and drop us a tweet at Poldark Podcast. Uh, message us on the blog, uh, poldarkpodcast.tumblr.com forward slash ask. And just tell us what you think about Series 4. In the meantime, subscribe, rate, and review, and we will see you in a post-Series 4 world. Bye! R.I.P. To the girl you used to see Her days are over Baby, she's over I decided to give you all of me Baby, come closer Baby, come closer Yeah, ah, sexy senorita I feel your aura Jump out at the remote, Getting my flag and saucer I'll make you call me daddy Even though you ain't my daughter Maybe I ain't talking books When I said that I could take you across the border I'm young and free I'm London G I'm tongue and cheek So baby give me some tongue and drink Slow and steady for me Go on like a jazzy for me And say the word soon as you're ready for me I'm ready for yeah. Hit em all Switch it up Put them all Zip it up Let my perfume Sweater, say you'll be here soon. Sooner the better. No option for you saying no. I'll run this game, just play a role. Follow my lead, what you waiting for? Thought it over and decided tonight is your night.
and on I strut around I do it big I shut it down I wonder if you'd be able to handle me Mental pictures No cameras, please Her days are over